All right, good afternoon, everyone. This is from the War Room to the Boardroom podcast. I'm your host, Mayshawn Wilson. I'm a strategic deals and business operations at Apple, combat veteran in DKBA, and also a West Pointer. Today, we have our guest, Mr. Marcus Jackson. He and I will be discussing his co-exploration, pivoting to consulting and tech. Marcus is a management consultant, a former operations executive in both supply chain and healthcare, and after time in the Army as both a field artillery and intelligence officer. He pivoted into the corporate sector. He's also a former West Point D1 football player, and he's a graduate of both West Point and Columbia Business School. And so without further delay, I'll let Marcus take this one kind of introduce himself. Well, thank you, first of all, Michonne, for uh, having me on uh, the War Room to Boardroom podcast and uh, giving me a chance to share a bit about my transition and what it's been like for me, both in and out of the military. You know, you you covered a lot of the professional and uh, job-related introductions. I would add to that, I'm also a proud husband and father of two beautiful girls who strangely look just like me. And uh, I also spend what little free time I have trying to, you know, help folks navigate the transition from the military to the civilian job sector. And also, I recently joined uh, a volunteer nonprofit, Join Hands East St. Louis, where we provide mentorship and education and other life skills to uh, local teenagers and children. No, nice. Um, so if you could tell our, our listeners a little bit about yourself, like where are you originally from? How did you come to West Point in the military? You know, funny enough, I, I saw the episode with uh, Dr. Heist Gibson, and my path to West Point is going to sound very similar. You know, I, I was a, a kid growing up in small town, Texas, playing football where, you know, Friday Night Lights ruled the world. And, uh, you know, I wanted nothing more than to play college football. Uh, West Point gave me an offer to play as a defensive lineman, defensive end. And I also got an Air Force uh, offer from the Air Force Academy to play center. Obviously, I would rather go to West Point and play defensive end. But the similarity between me and Dr. Gibson is that, you know, the football staff, Coach Ed Warner and Coach Bob Sutton at the time, did a good job of packaging the Army as part of the deal playing at West Point and graduating from West Point. And, you know, I I didn't have the foresight then to understand the value of the West Point network, understand the value of the leadership training and skills you develop as an Army officer. Uh, and I, I didn't, I couldn't fathom how great a fit the military was and the Army was for me when I was a 17-year-old football recruit. But, you know, I came to West Point. I always tell folks who ask me why I went to West Point, you know, that's really asking two questions. The first is why I went, and the second is why I stayed. And I'll say I went because I wanted to play Division I football. 
However, I stayed because I realized that the country needed leaders in its military that were both tough and smart. And so that kind of led me to branch field artillery or I take that back, military intelligence with the field artillery branch detail, because I wanted to walk that balance between toughness and intelligence. Luckily for me, I was able to get, you know, my branch of choice. I was able to, to detail with no problem. I was able to get my unit of choice. But, you know, that's a little bit on how I came to West Point. And again, uh, the second part of that question is why I stayed. No, that makes a lot of sense. You mentioned that you applied to both West Point and Air Force Academy. And so did that service element kind of pique your interest or was it really just because of the football element? Was there any like family draw or other influences kind of pushing you in that direction? I'll say that the Air Force Academy offered me as a junior. So they came and uh, made an offer as a as a center um before i started the application process so when i started the application process i did all the paperwork and all the essays and everything and all the physicals uh to satisfy both the air force and army but when it came time to accept the nomination i only accepted uh i believe it was it wound up being nick lampson when i graduated but i can't remember my congressman's name at the time uh, but I accepted his nomination to go there. So can you tell us about where you are now and kind of what it took to get there for our listeners who may not be business or, you know, savvy, what kind of what exactly it is that you do? Sure. Well, where I'm at now, uh, I'm between full-time opportunities. I, I just wrapped up a tenure as a management consultant with Ernst & Young. I am currently interviewing for operations and project management leadership roles. My ultimate goal is to be a chief operating officer. And, and for your listeners, I'll say, you know, who may not have, you know, or who may have varying degrees of context for what a chief operating officer does, by and large, if you can imagine a battalion XO mixed with a battalion S3, that's kind of what a COO does. He or she supports the commander or the CEO, uh, they manage the staff, handle the logistics, the maintenance, in many cases, the personnel, and also on the operations and strategy side, do a lot of the planning. And again, support the commander by helping, or the CEO, by helping them shape and execute their vision. So my goal is to be a COO, of what size company yet, I haven't really figured that part out yet. Uh, but I imagine, you know, continuing as a director of operations, a director of supply chain, a director of project management, or a vice president role in any one of those three disciplines would be my next step. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so can you talk about one, kind of what are the credentials required to make that pattern to operations in a corporate role? And then two, how did you decide to stay in operations given that there's so many disciplines within business that you can decide to focus and specialize on? You know, I think I just naturally gravitated towards operations, you know, once I got into business school after I left the Army. 
the long and short of it is operations and supply chain is the art and science of planning, sourcing, building, delivering, and servicing, you know, a good or service in support of a customer or a client. I'll also say that my time as a lieutenant in a heavy armor division, the 1st Cavalry Division, really got me to understand the importance of, you know, maintaining, supporting, and operating those big heavy machines. I was in a M109 A6 Paladin battery for much of my time. And as a supply officer, a platoon leader, and a battery executive officer, I spent the majority of my time, if we weren't in the field shooting rounds, then I was doing something to enable those big machines and those cannon crews to be able to shoot rounds, whether it was ordering repair parts, uh, scheduling and overseeing maintenance, at times participating in the maintenance, uh, whether it was doing something personnel related or planning and executing some kind of operational training. But the supply chain piece in you know, ordering, tracking, installing, and operating uh, those repair parts and systems really translated over to the civilian sector for me uh, in a way that, you know, made it clear that I wanted to do supply chain and operations for much of, if not the rest of my career. Oh, very helpful insights. And so for our veterans that are trying to figure out the discovery process, are there any resources or kind of thoughts that you have to kind of figure that out? Because I find often people typically get pigeonholed into one area if you haven't gone the business school or grad school route, usually like sales or operations. So how can people kind of navigate that space? That's a good question. And I'll shamelessly plug myself. I, I now, as one of my uh, side employment um, strategies, I now counsel and advise veterans who are transitioning from the military, whether it's at the end of your term of service or you've come to retirement, whether you want to go to business school or graduate school or go right into the workforce. Uh, I've in the last couple of months, two, three months, I've probably helped out one, two, three, four folks. One was a retiree. Two are officers coming, or no, the other three are officers coming to the end of their tour. Uh, two are looking to go to grad school, and one is looking to go right into a career field. But to go back to your question, how would I advise veterans who may not be going to business school on how to jump from the military to a civilian career? I'd say I'd start by listing out some of the things you enjoy doing professionally, professionally and personally, not just that you enjoy, but, you know, some of the things that that really give you life, that breathe life into you, that you get a sense of reward and fulfillment doing, write those things down. So if you write them down, now I'm thinking, now I'm putting my consultant hat on 
and thinking in terms of a handy dandy matrix. I'm thinking listing those actions on your Y axis, just writing them down on a piece of paper, line by line. Now on your X axis, start picking out jobs or career fields or functional areas that you think you may be interested in. Supply chain, operations, IT, HR, sales, finance, what have you, on your x-axis. Now you have a grid. Now start doing some research into what it means to be a finance professional at a high level, right? Because you can do that same exercise for the different specialties within finance, right? Or within IT. So we're talking at a high level here, but you know, just to give you a starting point or just to give your your listeners a starting point, you know, start to X off the squares that allow you or would allow you to do those types of activities within those types of career fields. From there, look down the list and see where the preponderance of your X's are. And I would start there into looking into more depth what it means to be a finance professional or a salesperson or uh, a supply chain executive or what have you. That makes a lot of sense. I think we had similar conversations about several years ago as I was leaving the <laughs> army and going into business school and thinking about consulting versus finance. And so it's, it's very interesting to see it come full circle. And so in your transition process, you have your, your program consultancy that you're doing. Did you use any programs to get there? Some people mentioned things like MLT. Uh, was it mainly like mentors and peers? How did you kind of figure out that nebulous process of grad yeah. You know, that's one of the things that drives me so much to help veterans transition out and make a clean transition. And that is, I didn't really use a lot of the resources out there. There are so many resources out there to help you transition. There is a wealth of knowledge, of experience, of people who made the transition from veteran to civilian or from wardroom to boardroom. Uh, and they're just willing and able to give you insight and give you the lessons learned that they picked up so you don't have to learn them the hard way. You mentioned MLT. I applied to MLT, got into MLT, and you know, started doing the curriculum. But I was, you know, I was of Italian S3 at the time in army recruiting. I was working crazy hours. My wife and I were living, you know, about a five-hour drive away from each other. I had just got married when I came back from Iraq. We were living five hours away. We saw each other on weekends. And I thought to myself, man, I don't have time to do this MLT foolishness. Stupid move. Stupid move. If I, if I could go back <laughs> and do one thing, I, I would go back, stick with MLT, stick with the curriculum, you know, and walk through the systematic process that others that have come before you have figured out and then try to make it better for the next person or the next group of people coming through. Uh, so I did do MLT for a short period of time. And then I 
gave up my slot. I, I think they gave my slot to someone else, maybe another West Pointer or another Army or military veteran. I didn't take advantage of what is now called Soldier for Life. At the time, it was called ACAP. And I think that program in the Army has matured a lot. You know, I, I, I take some issue with some of the things they do. And if you if you like, we can go into those issues, especially for those of you out in there, uh, out in your audience who uh, work for or, you know, praise the Soldier for Life program. I got issues with them, but, you know, they have so much knowledge and so many connections that, you know, allow you to make that clean transition. And the other thing I feel like I didn't take enough advantage of was my network. The network I built up, you know, just by where I went to school, where I served, who I served with. I didn't lean on the West Point network enough. In my time since applying to and going to business school, I have found the West Point network to be second to none. And I, I would put the West Point network up against any Ivy League or any state school or any military academy because whenever I reach out to a West Point graduate, they come through. They come through and if they can't help me, they try to introduce me to someone who can't. I've, I've yet to come upon the situation where I reach out to a West Pointer and say, hey, can you help me? And I either get ghosted or they say, no, I can't help. Now, mind you, I've learned to be judicious and smart about who I reach out to and what I ask them for, but still batting a thousand with the West Point Network. Uh, so to sum it up for, you know, for your listeners and for your audience, you know, some of the things I advise them to take advantage of include MLT and other uh, programs to prepare you for graduate school. I'm sure there are equivalents for law school or engineering school or whatever. The transition programs that your service offers in the Army's case, it's Soldier for Life. And third, your network. It, even if you're not a West Pointer, there are people you know, there are people who are going to automatically associate you because you served in this division or you're from this hometown, or you went to this school, or they're a member of your social organization, or they know someone that you know. I can't stress those three things enough. Those programs, predatory programs, transition programs, and your network. No, all good points. Um, I'm curious if we could pull on two of those threads. So one, you talked about kind of the ACAP program, the ACAP Okay. What do you feel like they're missing? Feel like they're missing. Next piece. My one. Go ahead. My one gripe with Soldier for Life. This kind of came out in about. I was. It was after grad school, so it might have been around 2010 is when I first picked up on this thing. I was talking to an intern at my company. I was working for United Technologies at the time, now known as Raytheon Technologies. And I was talking to one of the summer interns who was an army veteran. I think they were a Chinook pilot, but he showed me his resume and, you know, I said, you know, what is this? What are, what are these words and these job titles you have? 
what does it mean to be an operations manager managing employees in stressful environments? You know, and they and he said that's what Soldier for Life, the Soldier for Life folks coached him to do because, you know, you want to translate your resume, you want to translate, you know, your responsibilities and achievements in a way that, you know, more than just other soldiers are going to understand what you're saying. And I get that. But there's a small part of me that feels like, you know, if you can't stomach me saying I was an artillery platoon leader and I led soldiers in combat and you want me to water that down and say I was an operations manager managing employees in a stressful environment. If that's the case, I don't know that your company is where I want to be because I believe that. The requirements, you know, in professional life now are such that you have to come with your full self. You have to come with your full identity. And I I just don't believe in watering down your job titles or your job responsibilities. Now, granted, I'm not going to say we racked up 30 kills in this deployment. That's going a little bit too far. When I coach folks writing their resume, transitioning out from the military to uh, the civilian sector, I encourage them to use their real job titles. I encourage them to then explain what it means in understandable terms, what it means to be a rifle company commander or what it means to be a howitzer platoon leader, what have you. And then talk about your achievements. Um, And I found a little bit of success with that approach. One of the folks I just counseled got into MLT, uh, Rifle Company Commander, and I think he did a a great job of translating translating his uh, responsibilities and achievements into terms that any reader can understand but he didn't have to water down his resume and not say he was a rifle company commander because that's what he is. No, all, all great points. I think as you were transitioning me as, as an artillery officer, I was like, oh, they have no idea what that means. Let me like this. <laughs> the other point that you brought up that I thought was interesting, uh, you mentioned being judicious and leveraging your network. So can you talk about that? Because often people will go in with the question of, Hey, can I pick your brain? How do you engage say grads that are 10, 15 years beyond you to be respectful of their time and what their experience is? Just an example. Well, I think you get the nail on the head with being respectful of people's time. That's that's one of the number one considerations. People are busy, they have things to do, they have families, they have lives to lead. You have to be respectful of their time. Another handy tip is not to reach out to people and ask for a job because if they don't have a job for you, it's going to seem awkward. Or if they do have a job for you, you know, who are you to just come right out and say, hey, give me a job? Instead, find out something about them, about what they've done, about what they're doing, and see if you can make a little connection between your background or your interests and what they've done or what they're doing, right? And LinkedIn is a powerful tool to accomplish that. I'm sure there are other 
mechanisms that you can use, word of mouth, email, phone call, personal visits. But LinkedIn is a great tool with a wide reach. And the more you use it, the more useful it gets. So be respectful of people's time. Do some research on the people or person you want to reach out to. Find some connection between your interests and their background. And then ask for time on their calendar. Either they're going to say yes or they're going to say no. If if you can't get on their calendar, or even if you can, ask them if there's anyone else they recommend you speak with. They may give you one, two, three, or however many names. And, and this is getting into the... the <laughs> What one of my mentors, John Hampton, who kind of paved the way for a lot of West Point graduates to go to Columbia Business School and other top business schools, he would say, you know, they might give you a little nugget, right? Maybe talk to this person. And, and John would say, I'm going to get full off that nugget. I'm going to make a, a meal out of that nugget or a meatball. He called it a meatball. If they give me a little meatball, I'm going to follow up and I'm going to make a meal out of that meatball. Um, so if you reach out to someone in your network, you've done the research, you know, they work in finance, you're interested in finance and you say, hello, sir, ma'am, I'm so-and-so West Point class of XX. I notice you work in investment banking. I'm interested in, in investment banking because whatever, would it be possible to get on your calendar in the not too distant future? They may say yes, and you get on their calendar, great. Be sure to thank them for their time and for their insight. Um, Even if they do or they don't, and they give you one other person to reach out to, make sure you reach out to that person. And go through a similar drill. Do the research on that person. Connect the dots between your interests and their uh, background. And then ask for time on their calendar. And as you do that, you'll build up both a network and a treasure trove of knowledge that then you can use to craft and uh, carve out your path from where you are in the military to where you want to be in business or, you know, in the civilian sector. You know, all all great points about being respectful for time and how to manage calendars and contacts. Kind of pivoting a little bit more to your transition. You talked about some of the resources. Do you recommend any like books or podcasts? Given given when you transition, probably more books, but any any helpful resources? You know, everybody does a podcast, and there are some great ones out there. Um, for those interested in consulting, I recommend you subscribe to the McKinsey Quarterly. You can read their published articles or you can listen to their podcast. There are other great consulting podcasts out there. There's, you know, now that I'm a recovering consultant, I can't remember all the names. Uh, I think it's called Inside the Strategy Room, uh, which is sort of a mixture of interviews and conversations with partners and leaders from some of the top consulting firms, not just McKinsey, but also Bain and Boston Consulting Group and other firms. Books to read. I will, again, shamelessly plug someone. One of my professors at Columbia Business School 
uh, Professor Mike Finer, was the head of HR for Pepsi. He wrote a book called The Finer Points of Leadership. Finer spelled like his last name. And in it, it's just a number of examples from his own multi-decade professional career. He makes it useful and he makes it useful for consulting type minds who need a matrix, right? Uh, you go to the back of the book and it's broken down by category and it says, you know, if you want to learn how to manage up, follow these rules and it'll refer you to the section in the book that goes over that particular rule. And I think he has, you know, 50 some odd rules in the book, but, you know, it's a good, it was a good handbook for me to use as I navigated uh, the beginnings of my professional career, you know, managing up, managing down, managing across, learning how to communicate, you know, tough decisions, learning how to make tough decisions. Uh, and again, that book is called The Finer Points of Leadership by Michael C. Finer. Uh, that was a great book. The 10-Day MBA. Whether you're going to business school or not, and I can't remember who wrote the 10-Day MBA, but it's another, you know, I like crisp, concise, to-the-point writings. That's the way I try to write, and that's the way these two books are written. But The 10-Day MBA it breaks down, you know, some of the things that you need to know or or points you in the direction of where to do some research and, and what to know in some of the uh, key areas of business, operations, finance, IT, HR, sales, so forth. So whether you're going to get an MBA or not, you're armed with some of that knowledge. So to sum it all up, I, I'd say the top four you know, books and podcasts that I'd recommend. I'd say the McKinsey Quarterly and the Inside the Strategy Room podcasts. And for books, I'd say the finer points of leadership in the 10-day MBA. No, all great recommendations. I think the other ones that come along those lines would probably be like um, be like uh, the, the Vault MBA Career Bible that tells you the day in the life of all of those different professions. <laughs> And you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, this is what they do? Absolutely not. And then probably case in the <laughs> or case in point. I remember you, you told me that one. It was like, okay, let me get on that. Case in point was a good one. Kind of to, to wrap us up, um, as you look at your transition, is there anything that you would have changed, whether it was you know, your last assignment, your final location, benefits that you use, anything like that, that you know, some of our fellow veterans can learn from? You know... I kind of shot from the hip when I was transitioning. Right? I, I wasn't as deliberate as I now coach my clients to be. I didn't put as much thought into what I was going to do next. It was like when I came to the point where I needed to decide whether I was going to stay in or get out, it was stay in. If I get out, do I go to school? Or if I get out, do I go to work? And, you know, honestly, I don't know that I did the deliberate thought process to evaluate those three options, you know, with some rigor, with some uh, some diligence. I just kind of picked going to grad school because, I don't know, 
I just did. Uh, <laughs> so don't be like me. Put some thought into it. Uh, and I, I may have put thought into it and, and come up with business school as the best thing for me to do. But put some thought into it and be deliberate about your options. You mentioned benefits to take advantage of. Again, I was in such a rush to get out of the military and start my next life. I, you know, I pencil whipped a lot of the uh, the medical things. You know, I, I didn't do my final out physical. I didn't do my my dental exam or I, I I'm actually I did, but I didn't make sure those got in my medical records or whatever. Uh, I didn't see the VA or I didn't see a veteran services officer. I am now filing for my VA benefits and I've been out of the military for 15 years, 15 years. So here I am 15 years hence trying to get my VA benefits. Don't be like me. Plan ahead of time to document all your medical issues, get seen for them, get them documented and make sure you you get your your VA physical and your VA evaluations before you transition out. Right? Make the time to do that. Again, I can't stress the network enough. Reach out to your network and generate some ideas on what you want to do next. Talk to people who have done some of the things you're considering and pick their brain, get their lessons learned. I mean, the Army is all about lessons learned. You know, we do the AAR process after every mission. There's a Center for Army Lessons Learned. So why not use that culture and that line of thinking to help you set yourself up for success. No, all great points, and I could not all agree more. Points, and I could not agree more. And given the information that you shared, uh, how can our listeners connect with you and learn more, both on your social consul- consulting firm and on social media and uh, recommendations and touch points? Uh, I'm easy to find. I'm Marcus A. Jackson on LinkedIn. I'm Mar- Marcus A. Jackson on Facebook. I'm Marcus A. Jackson on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Marcus Alden. Alden is what the A stands for. You know, you can find my email address and phone number on, maybe not phone number on all those, but you can find my email address or you can get a hold of me through any one of those three. But, you know, if we're talking about grad school, if we're talking about civilian careers, the easiest and fastest means to get a hold of me and to initiate a dialogue would be LinkedIn. Again, that's Marcus A. Jackson. Awesome. Well, Marcus, we really appreciate your time. You've given us some, some great nuggets about how to deliberately plan your exit and transition your career exploration. And we appreciate your time. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Beat Navy. Beat them. <laughs>